0: Okay, so just to get started, if you want to introduce yourself, introduce the Alba Solidarity Group and talk more about the mission of the organization.
1: Hi, uh, my name is Stan Smith. Uh, I work with the Chicago Alba Solidarity that got started after we were once the Chicago Committee to Free the Cuban Five, but uh, after 2014 when they got freed, we worked uh, on defending the all the ALBA countries, which is Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua, Bolivia, and before uh, Ecuador. And I put out the uh, AFGJ Venezuela and ALBA weekly for the last like eight years, giving a uh, news about those countries that you can't get in the corporate media here, like what the U.S. is doing to try to overthrow those governments and interfere with their development and well, the social accomplishments that the people and the governments there have made over the years.
0: Excellent. Um, so just to get started on the on the present subject, uh, I read a little bit of of the dispatches on the Cuban and Venezuelan and Nicaraguan response to the crisis in Ukraine. Um, but I'm wondering if you can kind of go more into detail about it uh, for the audience and uh, and then we can discuss more about what the implications will be uh, if the conflict escalates
1: further. Uh, I could give a, it... Kind of a summary or excerpts of what they said in their statements would that help?
0: Yeah, that would be great. Thank you.
1: All right, uh, there was there was recently a meeting in the UN about uh, emergency session on uh, Ukraine. So I can read some of the excerpts from uh, the Venezuelans and different in the Cubans. The Venezuelans said, uh, "We defend international law and in a peaceful settlement." of the conflict in the Ukraine. We agreed to the Minsk agreements. The Minsk agreements, that's M-I-N-S-K, were the agreements to have a ceasefire in the Russian areas of the Ukraine that were being attacked by these neo-Nazi military groups that are in part of the Ukraine that the US supports. So you said it. We agreed to the Minsk agreements. Unfortunately, Ukraine did not abide by it. NATO pressured Ukraine and escalated the conflict and threatened Russia. Now it is escalating into a conflict bet- between nuclear powers. Destabilizing a nuclear power is not the path to peace. We should de-escalate tensions and not fuel them. We reject the application of sanctions and coercive measures. We encourage direct talks between NATO and Russia, and we must end the war propaganda. Um, President Maduro at Venezuela has has also made his own statements um, in interviews, saying that Venezuela will maintain all economic relations with Russia, said economic warfare is the method used by imperialism to destroy Russia. Prior to its objective of militarily surrounding the country and thereby breaching all signed agreements. Despite the empire's attempt to impose itself with the blackmail of, of the dollar and financial and commercial system to impose a unilateral world, a multipolar world of new poles of power has been born. Uh, the conflict. Russia began the military operation in the Ukraine on February 24th at the request of the People's Republic of Donetsk and Lugansk to repel the aggression of Kiev, the, gov- the government in the Ukraine, that had been bombarding this region for more than eight years, resulting in 14,000 people being killed, which I would say, parenthetically, that's This is not really reported in the US press at all. Mm. This war really did not start on February 24th. It had been going on for a long time, and 14,000 people had been killed, Russians. Mm. And when Russia refused to, uh, Ukraine refused, and the US refused to negotiate a ceasefire, that's when Russia responded militarily. Then he and uh, Maduro goes on, I confirmed Venezuela's condemnations of de- NATO's destabilizing actions. I re- reiterate a reaffirmed disposition in favor of understanding and dialogue as a way to preserve peace and he said it's important to counter the campaign of lies and disinformation unleashed by the Western countries, which, as you may know in Europe now. You cannot uh, access RT or Sputnik, Mm -hmm. the two Russian news agencies, which if the media here is really reporting what's going on in the Ukraine, then why do they feel they need to censor the news from Russia about what's going on there?
2: Right.
1: Um, Right. I could go on a little to, I could go add some more, some other statement of his, but I may, I, maybe I should read some of the Cuban statements. Yeah,
0: some good. of the, the Cuban stuff would be
1: interesting. The average statement was very good. Um, said the U.S. determination to continue NATO's progressive expansion towards the Russian Federation's borders has brought about a scenario with implications of unpredictable scope, which could have been avoided. United States and NATO's military moves towards region adjacent to the Russian Federation in recent months are well known and were preceded by the delivery of modern weapons to Ukraine, which together constitute a military siege. It is important to to make a rigorous and honest examination of the current situation in Ukraine without carefully assessing Russian Federation's just demands of the United States and NATO, and the factors that led to the U.S. use of force and non-observance of legal principles and international norms, which Cuba strongly supports, and are particularly for small countries an essential resource in resisting hegemony, abuse of power and injustice. Maybe I didn't read that right. I mean, he's saying... We cannot have an honest and rigorous examination of the current state and affairs without considering what the US US had done leading up to this to create that situation. Um, Cuba is a country that defends international law and is committed to the charter of the United Nations. Cuba, Cuba will always defend peace and oppose the use of force and threats to do so against any state. We deeply regret the loss of innocent civilian lives in Ukraine. The Cuban people have had a, and continue to have a very close relationship with the Ukrainian people. And I could add parenthetically that a lot of that is when Cuba helped take care of thousands of children around Chernobyl after the nuclear meltdown there in the late 1980s. Yeah they took care of them for, for very many years. So they Thank established you. very close relationship with the Ukrainian people. Um, so going on with this Cuban statement it says, ignoring the well-founded claims by made by the Russian Federation concerning security guarantees and for the concerning security guarantees for decades and and assuming that Russia would remain defenseless in the face of a direct threat to its national security was a mistake. Russia has the right to defend itself. Peace cannot be maintained by mounting sieges or encircling states. Cuba rejects hypocrisy and double standards. It should be recalled that in 1999, the United States and NATO Launched a major attack on Yugoslavia, a European country that was fragmented with high cost in human lives in pursuit of geopolitical objectives and disregarding the UN Charter. The US and its several of its allies have used force on many occasions. They have invaded sovereign countries to bring about regime change and interfere in the internal affairs of other countries that do not submit to their interests of domination and defending their territorial integrity and independence. The US and and NATO are also responsible for the deaths of hundreds of thousands of civilians, which they label as, quote, collateral damage, end quote. Millions of displaced persons and widespread destruction across uh, across our planet in their wars of plunder. Uh, Daniel Ortega gave a rather long speech on the anniversary of the murder of uh, Augusto Sandino just before the war started or the Russian uh, incursion into Ukraine, attack on Ukraine started uh, where he went into the whole background of what led up to the war and he's uh condemned what the u.s was doing there to provoke this situation but it's rather long to it's rather detailed d- discussion for the nicaraguan people about what lay behind what was going to happen and i also had a quote from abel morales from uh bolivia the former president who was overthrown in the u.s coup but Now his party is back in power. He recently said, NATO is a serious threat to international peace and security. Its record of invasions and aggressions prove it. Now it's expansionist attempt is one of the main reasons for the situation in the Ukraine. So those is, I could read some more quotes from Venezuela, but I don't know if you had a question or anything.
0: Well, yeah, in the taking the totality of, of the statements from the ALBA group, I think there's a common theme in that they're, you know, as victims of US aggression, themselves in these countries, they're very familiar with the encroachment of NATO and, and what was happening in the lead up as you were discussing to the incursion into Ukraine. But how do you think that in the reverse of it, how do you think that Russia's incursion and the I mean, it's hard to make predictions, but what do you see as the escalation of NATO, the expansion of NATO into a really a global uh, a global police force? Uh, what impact do you think that will have on the nations of Alba that have already suffered from a lot of U.S. aggression?
1: Well, the U.S. is, I think. Uh... The main concern of the people running the U.S. now is that their control of the world, they're losing it to Mm -hmm. China and Russia. And they don't, they do not want a multipolar world. They want to be the world boss. Mm. After collapse of the Soviet Union, the U.S. thought it was the world boss and it could do what it wants. But now China has become too economically powerful and uh, Russia is still a major military power. And the U.S. is declining economically in relation to China on every continent the, on the planet, even in Latin America. Yeah. And that's uh, the U.S. Uh, corporate rulers see that as a threat, and they're trying to stop it. And mm-hmm. I that's... What they're doing now in Ukraine is what they are trying. Uh, that's trying to, part of their plan to try to stop it. And it makes me think that what they are doing now in the Ukraine, using Ukraine to provoke Russia into a war, they might try to do that later using Taiwan to provoke China. But as as for NATO, I know country of Colombia, which is a neighbor of Venezuela, which is has a low-level border war going on there against uh, Venezuela. It is a. It's not a formal men, member of NATO, but it is a. I'm not sure what.
0: Like a NATO designated an associate or, or something.
1: something. Yeah. I'm wow. not sure. I can't remember what the exact term for it is. So any, uh, and it is uh, Russia and China. And also Iran and um, some extent India that are defending the Alba countries against the uh, U.S. pressure to try to overthrow them, which U.S. is constant. I mean, U.S. has has an economic blockade on Cuba for some 60 years. It has an economic blockade on Venezuela for five years or so. And it's going to have more, not yet a full blockade on Nicaragua, but it has a lot of sanctions on Nicaragua right now. And the U.S. is constantly trying to remove those governments. And it's also, I mean, the U.S. did organize a coup against the government of Amo Morales in Bolivia in 2019, And now their government is back in power with Luis Arce being the president. But the U.S. is still arming groups in Bolivia to try to start some new military actions against that government. So any any kind of victory that the U.S. would have in the Ukraine is going to help them. Uh, overthrow these governments in Latin America. On the other hand, I think that now um, there are a lot of very clean neocolonial governments that were in Latin America maybe five years ago that are not there now, so the U.S. is in a weaker position. They have um, Nicaragua, I mean, in Mexico, they have um, lopez oprador who's even won't impose any sanctions on russia he's against that they they have good relations with most of the alba countries uh there was just a election in chile who's not really that friendly with nicaragua or venezuela but they're not under they don't kowtow to the united states we had a Progressive government now in Honduras after 10 years after the U.S. coup there, or it's 12 years, I guess. And this, in the spring this year and then in the fall this year, there'll be elections in Colombia in Brazil. And if Brazil, if Lula becomes elected president in Brazil and Bolsonaro loses, then that'll be a big defeat for U.S. control in Latin America because Brazil is a major economic power.
0: Yeah, and on that note of the kind of waning U.S. uh, hegemony and military hegemony within Latin America, how do you think the fact that Russia has sent military aid to Venezuela, uh, by some reports has, you know, military uh, equipment and personnel in Venezuela, is really scaring the United States and How do you think there's a potential there for some escalation and the U.S. is perceiving Russia as being very friendly with a a government that the U.S. is actively trying to overthrow, has tried to overthrow uh, as recently as 2018, 2019, uh, with their support of Juan Guaido?
1: Well, I don't know if the Russian aid is, it's, it's not like when the Soviet Union sent missiles to Cuba um their aid is uh helpful in arming the venezuelan people but i don't really think it's would be a it's, it's some kind of threat to the united states even if the u.s was going to invade the so u.s would probably go through uh colombia if they were trying to They would use Colombians to invade. They'd use a mercenary army to do it because actual U.S. soldiers on the ground fighting and invading a country in in Latin America would make the whole continent blow up. So um, I think more the, 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 the aid that China and Russia give Venezuela is that I think they would have sunk venezuela would have sunk they would have the chavistas would have lost in the, the elections and been voted out of power without the significant aid of china and russia in helping to um keep the economy working under all the u.s sanctions because you know before the sanctions venezuela has all the huge amounts of oil and everything in its oil industry and everything it in and out of its oil industry, all its factories, everything, it all came from the U.S. All the spare parts, everything, came from the U.S. So The U.S. puts a blockade on Venezuela so they cannot buy any spare parts or anything. And I think one quarter of Venezuelan oil was sold in the U.S. That, that had a made disastrous impact on their economy that they had to go redo all their equipment for everything with stuff that was not made in the U.S. It was made in China or Russia. So uh, that was the most important aid that China and Russia gave uh, Venezuela is to help them survive the, the uh, economic blockade that uh, the U.S. put on the country. It'd be like the same, like, the way the Soviet Union aided Cuba, which... Soviet Union hadn't aided Cuba, their government would have collapsed and maybe, I don't know, I remember once when I was in Cuba, I asked people, did they think Cuba would have survived without the aid of the Soviet Union? They just laughed. They said, well, maybe we'd make it to 1962 or maybe 63, but that's it. So their their aid is, their economic support is the main thing that helps them against the U.S. Plus, I think, you know, the, the Venezuelan people, like the Cuban people, they are, uh, they've been armed and trained for, you know, they have popular militias with hundreds of thousands of people who are trained to fight an invasion. So um, they're pretty well equipped to survive some kind of land attack on their country.
0: And on, on that note, with the prospect of invasion, uh, and, and as you're talking about an invasion looks very different now uh nowadays than it it had in the past. And I know a lot of commentators and, and analysts have been thinking about hybrid warfare as the new kind of method of analysis for these situations and what the US is doing. You mentioned the use of mercenaries as like a, a more frequent than having, you know, Americans in American uniforms going into these nations. So how do you think that this model of hybrid warfare is being, it, it's been used in Ukraine. Uh, so there's a, a parallel there of similar method of warfare. Um, but how do you think it's, it, the American hybrid warfare is evolving in Venezuela. We saw activity in Cuba in uh, in last summer uh, in a similar kind of vein, so how do you think that's evolving? How do you think that has the potential to escalate with this new crisis
1: in relation to the ALBA countries?
2: Or... Yeah, in the in the ALBA countries.
1: Well, I have to admit, I am uh, surprised how many anti-war people I know swallow. The propaganda coming out from the U.S. about Russia. It's like every time the U.S. goes to war, they make up all these stories about why they need to go to war with Vietnam as well. The North Vietnamese attacked us in Gulf of Tonkin. Then comes out later. Well, that never happens. And then... Was the other one? Well, Saddam Hussein, he had weapons of mass destruction and he was going to nuke us or something. And then it came out, well, no, that wasn't real. And then the U.S. invaded uh, Afghanistan 2001. They said, well, that's because they're protecting Osama bin Laden. But that was not the case because the Taliban government said, if you want to You have charges against Osama bin Laden, we'll turn them over to you, but you haven't provided any evidence that he had anything to do with this. So, well, we're not going to do that until you give us some evidence that he's uh, some way culpable. And I don't know the endless numbers of wars. Well, all the the propaganda around the U.S. instigated uh, all this conflict in Nicaragua in 2018. They were even killing a lot of police officers and civilians. I mean, even killing them and burning them. And people believe that, you know, it was the Sandinistas doing that when they were the ones being killed. And I remember, you know, even, you know, Juan Guaido in Venezuela is uh, held as some kind of Democrat and his uh, his supporters are fighting for democracy, even though he I don't know how often, I've seen the video enough times of when they, for example, they took that one black guy and poured gas on him and lit him lit up and burned him to death, running away down the street on fire. Um, it's kind of amazing that the US government and the media here can, doesn't matter how many times people know they lied in the past about something, they fall for it again it's kind of shocking it's like wow yeah. when are you going to learn that you know when they start a war about something they're lying to you right um so i don't know maybe i digress from your oh, how it's related to yeah. it's hard to say you know what i know like an example in bolivia when they overthrew the Evo morales in bolivia they invented the whole story that he stole the election right And uh, he should be removed because he tried to steal the election. Then it came out, no, he never tried to steal it. He won the election. Right. Um, But they would always get people who are like, you think are progressive. They fall for this all the time. Yeah. It is uh, rather stunning. And I guess war will continue as long as people fall for this kind of uh, media disinformation. It's certainly happening now with Russia in the Ukraine. Um, So I don't. uh, That's the main threat. I think that uh, these countries face is to U.S. controls. Not only the world financial system, like the SWIFT system, but they control the world media, and so and they can control Facebook, all the social media they yeah. control it and um, they can
2: manipulate
1: people's opinions i mean they really i mean like one i posted something on facebook about uh, cuz people were holding up you know defense stand up for ukraine defend mm-hmm. ukraine with a flag so i i posted up one with uh, two ukrainian soldiers with a Ukrainian flag with a swastika in the middle of it. And Facebook said it violated community standards for me to post yeah. it. It's like, right. The uh, control, the way they get people to go along with the war, uh, a war is to control the information that they see, if it's really information. Con- right. And then people will go along with it and so long as they are not just inherently skeptical of what they are told in the corporate media, the U.S. could uh, stir up any kind of hydro warfare again against some other country in any of these countries. It's it's, uh, I mean, and also they are censoring alternative media more right. and more all the time in the U.S. So now it's harder to get um, the actual truth out about stuff. Because they know to keep their control over the propaganda, they have to shut down all other sources of news. Right, Because like what they're doing in Europe was shutting down the RT and Sputnik news.
0: Right, and and how do you think that this model of of disinformation plays a very key role in in Cuba and in Venezuela? With a lot of what we've been seeing recently, are also examples of that. So, for example, a lot of a lot of controlled disinformation about um, about Cuba in in the summer of last year. I remember when you know the U.S. was trying to project as if there was a a coming revolution of, of some kind mm-hmm. uh, and it plays kind of a similar role to the media narrative about about what is happening right now. Um, how do you think that that model has been tried out already in Latin America and is already like something that's been used to justify action against Venezuela, continued the blockade against uh, against Cuba um and how do you think that will continue to escalate? I mean, so I see a a, a prime example in the u s media already starting to say uh there are Russian there's Russian influence in Venezuela. we have to go after them. I think one of biden's spokesperson spokespeople were saying uh, we designed these new sanctions to our, to also hit Venezuela and Cuba, so they're already trying to make this connection to go after them as well
1: Well, yeah, that's true. They could start uh depending how this develops, they can start going after countries that refuse to abide by the U.S. sanctions, which, as I know, because I work on opposing U.S. sanctions on countries, um, the UN says all sanctions imposed by one country on another country are illegal under international law. The only kind of sanctions that are legal in international law are sanctions approved by the United Nations.
2: Right.
1: And so, US sanctions on Venezuela or Nicaragua or Cuba or Russia or China, it's actually 39 countries that the US has sanctions on, these are illegal under international law. So, the, the US is the country committing the crime there. And, and, that you know, I'm working on that case to help free Alex Saab, that Venezuelan mm-hmm. diplomat who's uh, right. in prison now in Miami. Like, mm-hmm. It's illegal to arrest a diplomat. That violates international law, but right. he's basically arrested for trying to help uh, Nick, uh, Venezuela find ways around the U.S. sanctions.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So he's basically arrested for his legal activity in the US is the one with the illegal activity, but right. he, he ends up in jail in Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but Cuban and Venezuela, since the Cuba owns the media there, the Cuban go- the state, they don't have any right-wing press. Right. They're still gonna have social media, they get on their phones, which is gonna be U.S. can use that for propaganda purposes, and that's what yeah. they did last year. But also, you know, the Cuban people are very, very well educated about the role of the U.S. in trying to overthrow their system. I mean, anybody who's under sixty is they've lived under it their whole lives, so yeah. they don't need a lot of education about how the U.S. is trying to manipulate things. And they'll listen to and trust what their government tells them. I mean, they're small groups. But one thing, that, you know, the blockades do on these countries is it causes a lot of hardship among people. And when you don't think things are going to get better and it's very frustrating and uh, life is just difficult all the time, you kind of tend to blame what you see in front of you, you blame your government for not doing more.
2: Right.
1: And that has some impact in Cuba, but not much. In Venezuela, it's much more because Venezuela, you also still have a lot of right wing press there. You had a lot of pro-U.S. press there, a lot of pro-U.S. propaganda. So a fair amount of the population actually blame the Venezuelan government for the hardships, economic hardships they're going through. And that's a problem. I mean, actually, when the U.S. first imposed sanctions on Cuba, they say, we'll impose hardships on the people in Cuba so that it gets so unbearable, you know, they'll start blaming the government for their problems and they'll try to over- get rid of the government. Right. Because they're not going to blame the U.S., they're going to blame their own governments, and that's what hap- happens in Venezuela this fair amount. The people get discontented with their governments not meeting their needs, so the U.S. can manipulate them that way, and that way may kind of start some color revolution
2: there.
1: Right. It's, I mean, now that the opposition there is pretty discredited, but... Um, that's another problem for the u s to find some opposition that seems kind of legitimate, which they don't have right now, yeah but uh that's I was in Venezuela in, in november yeah there's there's a fair amount of people who are confused about what's the role of their government and what's the role of the u s government in causing the problems they have,
2: yeah,
1: and some of them think, well, it might be better if the u s was Back in some way.
2: Yeah.
1: And in Venezuela, uh, Nicaragua, I was there in uh, October. I don't think their government is very popular, regardless of what they say here about him being a dictator and everything. (laughs) It's more popular than most of these, probably not more than Cuba, but the other ones, you got like. 70% of the vote in the election. I mean, he's very popular, Daniel Ortega. So, yeah. very hard to turn the people against him. I mean, they did try it in 2018 and they fooled some people for maybe a month or two. But then after that, people realized no, the US backed people in Nicaragua are causing all the violence here and we need to stop it. And then they turned against all that violence and that was the end of it. And I think. People there learned a lesson. It's like you don't trust these opponents of the U of the, the Sandinistas because they're lying to you. Mm-hmm. Plus, they've made tremendous gains in that country in the last fifteen years. So,
0: yeah, I'm I'm interested as well in on maybe a more optimistic note. As you're talking about making gains in in these struggles. Where do you see more uh progress in, in forming bonds between the between the ALBA countries, between the emerging countries that are at least trying to get rid of their previously American loyal neocolonial governments? So what is the general progress and how is there perhaps maybe on the reverse uh an opportunity in the, in this crisis for the potential weakening of NATO, as a lot of the statements are talking about a multipolar world, potentially emerging in some way. Do you do you see any cause for optimism in that
1: respect? Well, it'll be a long-term process. I mean, the U.S. is still a major, number one superpower in the world. Plus, the U.S. is willing to go to war.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: it's like well if we kill hundreds of thousands or millions of people to stay on to stay on top of the world we'll go do it no problem yeah. i i don't think it, china and russia is like no we're not going to do something like that um so that's uh one advantage that the u.s has is they're ruthless yeah um there was much more cooperation on the Alba countries when Hugo Chavez was around, and there was a price of oil was high then they yeah. they had a lot of interchange and a uh, regional economic integration and then when the the Cuban doctors were going all over to all these countries, like Venezuela, there's still like twenty five thousand I think yeah, I guess I don't know how many thousand in Bolivia or nicaragua but uh after the sanctions wrecked the Cuban, the venezuelan economy they couldn't they couldn't do that much just try to survive now venezuela is recuperating slowly now their oil production is going back up and now thanks to the war in ukraine the oil price of gas has gone way up so they're venezuela has more funds and they're more uh self-sufficient in uh and agricultural production. But it's uh, these little countries are it's it's very they're, it's very difficult. And even then was like most people don't know what the SWIFT system is, you know, that international banking system that the US right. controls, like most of the money used in the world to make international trade is a euro or the dollar, mostly the dollar. Right. Even China, majority of its trade is in. even, I I think, uh, up to a year ago, half of its trade with Russia was in the euro or dollar. So it's very hard to get out of that system. And when the U.S. controls that, I mean, it's like every time you go buy something on the Internet or every time you go to the store to buy something or do anything with money, have a bank account. It's all under the control of the Swiss SWIFT system. Mm -hmm. And if the U.S. just wants to shut you out of it, then, well, if it shut you or me out of it right now, then the Mm -hmm. only money we would have access to is the money that we have in our wallets and in our pockets. We wouldn't have access to our bank accounts or credit cards or nothing. And so to really get a more multipolar world, you have to have a financial system that is not under such control by the U.S. It has absolute control over it. So um, maybe what the U.S. is doing to Russia now is forcing these countries, now it's forcing a big country to get out of the SWIFT system because they're they're sanctioning Russian banks. And if Russia and China develop their own financial international financial and trade system that was not dependent on the swift system then the u.s would have a really big problem controlling the world but that's not very easy to do that's a long-term process and that's a major struggle and i don't think like russia and china nobody wants to undertake such a major struggle unless they're forced to do it like Russia's now forced to do it. He could have done it a long time ago, but it didn't.
0: And yeah, I'm sure, yeah. Sorry, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, I'm sure uh, China someday will be forced to do it, but they haven't done it yet because even most of their trade is in the dollar. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and on this note of I think dollar hegemony, um, the U.S. ability to be the world reserve currency. How do you think that the U.S. application of of really like lethal methods of war from NATO as this new kind of like defender of dollar hegemony that has even put you know other European countries, even though the EU is at the the behest and supports this system, there was a there was a little bit of like an internal divide initially within this coalition between the US and Germany for example of Germany saying with with its close energy relations with uh with Russia not being entirely willing to go ahead with this so is there an opportunity for uh this internal divide and and how do you think also on that note that energy is also still very much a present factor in this crisis and That obviously, as you're talking about with oil prices, is is very relevant for a country like Venezuela.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. One of the uh, I've read some articles that one of the what the U.S. is trying to get out of this uh, war with in Ukraine is to cut ties between Europe and Russia. Right. I think uh, Europe was getting 40% of its gas from Russia, which is much cheaper than they could get it from anywhere else because they're right next door and it just comes by pipelines. Now they're going to have to get their gas, I guess, from the United States through ships. Right. It's going to make it more expensive. Of course, that benefits the U.S. But that just means that all the countries in Europe are now subsidizing US uh, economy by, by doing that. And I think, you know, not only was the US trying to control Russia or do something against Russia with this war, it was trying to get uh, all the Euro, Euro, European Union countries more obedient to the US, more under the control of the US. It's like, no, you're not going to get too close relations with Russia or China. You're going to do we're going to force you to follow what we say. Um, but what will happen, I don't, I mean, prices of gas has already gone up a lot here. And inflation here is going up and it's going to be going up more as, since the price of everything, gas and diesel is going to go up and everything is by shipped, by uh, trucked in from somewhere. Um, uh, prices are going to go up all over so what's going to happen in response to this it's not people won't feel it immediately but they're going to start feelings like wow this is supporting this war on the ukraine is is uh really costing us a lot maybe we shouldn't be doing it maybe yeah. we should be more concerned about you know raising the minimum wage or lowering the price of housing or doing something about global warming or health care or something why are we wasting billions of dollars on a war and all we get for it is inflation i'm not sure though, i answered your question
0: well you you definitely did with respect to europe but I'm additionally I'm very I'm curious about how that then affects uh, the Alba nation, specifically Venezuela with this push for greater U.S. control of energy really like you're, you're like you're saying trying to cut Russia off with respect to energy. Uh, how does that tactic apply to Venezuela as a large oil producer as well?
1: I don't know. That might benefit Venezuela because. And the price of oil is going up. Russia can't sell its oil on the international market like it mm-hmm. could. So maybe there'd be more of a market for Venezuelan oil again. But how it affects Russia, I'm not sure how much China has said it will start buying a lot of Russian oil and gas. I don't know if it's going to really make up for what Russia is losing by selling i right i think it's only make 15 or 20% of what they would be losing but how would it affect i can't it's not going to affect cuba yeah i don't know if they get much russian oil i think their oil comes from venezuela and nicaragua they're like almost uh what 80 or 90% uh, into renewable energy so oil is not a big thing there and then Bolivia is a big producer of gas. So I'm not sure how they would be that affected. And anyways, right next to Bolivia is Ecuador, which is a oil producer. So it might not have a oil itself might
2: not have an effect there.
0: Well, I, I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see how how that develops more and in- I'm curious, I guess, as kind of a final question in, in wrapping up about the prospects of ALBA as an example, as you're talking about it, it doesn't have the, the same level of cooperation as it used to have when when Hugo Chavez was alive. But do you see this model of, of ALBA as this kind of uh, uh, supranational regionalist alliance for development uh, of a particular socialist uh, character as a potential model for, I think, the term that has been developing of, of South-South cooperation within the Global South as a as a as a unit of analysis. How do you see that as a a model that other nations worldwide and in the rest of the Global South could potentially use? And what are the the pros and cons of, of an approach like that?
1: Well, I. I think it uh, the level of uh, cooperation in Alba countries now, I mean, it's probably the same level of cooperation. The problem is they have much fewer resources now than they did 15 years ago to do things. But The level of cooperation uh, I mean, Cuba has thousands of doctors in Africa. So there is very close relations with I mean, they have the history of they're helping overthrow uh the apartheid in southern Africa, so i mean they even had sent troops to go fight against the French in Algeria in the early sixties, so not our doctors, I forget which maybe both, so they have a long term cooperation with Africa, and uh Hugo Chavez started very close cooperation with uh, African countries. And both of them say we are Afro countries, like we're not Latino. We're like, like Hugo Chavez said that you know, I'm part African. Um, so there's close relations already between them. It depends how you'd have to have economic powers there that could uh, cooperate that. Um, for it they really mean much more than just like sending doctors or something, the only other you know are i mean Cuba also has their international school well not just international school of Medicine but they have a lot of students from African countries that come there to study for free medicine and other things um Their uh, Venezuela's closest cooperation is with uh, Iran, which Iran really helped Venezuela restart all its oil industries because I guess because of its sanctions, it can it doesn't use American equipment I guess for its oil industry so it helped Venezuela switch from non to non American equipment and I guess Russia did too. Um, The real problem would be like what what countries that have some economic weight are in, in cooperation with Venezuela and Cuba and, well see Nicaragua doesn't have much economic weight anyways um, well Cuba's economic weight is really maybe in its high level of education of its population that they can send people abroad to help train or its great number of doctors it has to send around but um, Venezuela has a lot of economic weight based on its uh, oil and it has a lot of gold and so it could uh,
2: I'm not sure like you'd
1: have to have it really had it seems like the ones that countries they have closest relationships with are the ones that are also in the same position vis-a-vis United States as they are. So, which would mean like, once the US puts these countries in this pariah position, it's like, we're not dealing with you. Then they turn to the other ones in the same position and work closer, basically, because that's the only choice they have. Yeah. So, so you could say, well, it, it's only—I don't know if I'd want to say it—but you maybe you could argue that, well, they're cooperating because they don't see that they have any alternative. Only well, well, maybe that's part of it. I mean, Venezuela was also closely cooperating with Libya, but then U.S. overthrew the government and Gaddafi. And that's another problem: is that U.S. Any government that is cooperating with a country like uh, Venezuela, the US is, or, or Iran or something, the US is out to overthrow them.
2: Yeah.
1: And the US is pretty effective still at overthrowing governments. So right. they could have good relations with one country and then all of a sudden the counter revolutionaries are in power in that country. Like that's what happened in uh, Bolivia for a year. It's um,
2: the amount of power the U.S. has in the world is still pretty. It's
1: pretty hard to deal with for a lot of countries. Right, and I mean, it, I think the U.S. is still weakening, but it still has an immense amount of power. Yeah, but I don't know. Uh, it also kind of depends, like. Is there some upsurge in the world movements like, I mean, I was young when the 60s happened. There was a mass upsurge of people around the world. And then I was around when the war in Iraq started. There's a mass upsurge of people around the world then. I mean, all over, millions right. all over in every country. Now, we don't see that really. Yeah. And that's really going to be the basis for any kind of big social change is when masses of people are out in the streets protesting or or fighting against something. And that'll help governments in a great deal become more independent of the US. Right. But as long as uh, people are staying mostly quiet, it's it's harder for these uh, other countries and to uh defend for themselves it's like right. the the response to the war on on russia and ukraine that is happening now compared to what bush was trying to do with the war in iraq it's like wow this is like 100% reversal among the american population
0: yeah
1: back then it's like couldn't find anybody to say yeah well you could find some people who were yeah let's go to war with iraq that's a great idea but now people like yeah we got to do something against russia right i mean that's a that's a very successful propaganda campaign by the u.s major turnaround 20 years like wow this is I might've thought back then there, oh, this is a big decisive change in Amer- how American people think, but no, US no. turned it around, shows what right kind there. of power they have by their control of the
2: media and.
0: Yeah, uh. no, I, I totally agree. And I think it, it it's very frustrating to watch, uh, as you were talking about before, a lot of progressive minded people um, accepting a lot of the rhetoric, becoming in favor of NATO, becoming in favor of the US. But I think it speaks to the fact that there's a general, I mean, even when you look at like stuff with Venezuela and Cuba, there's the, there's been this long ongoing demonization of of those countries that has just led to a general ability to view US intervention as the only possible solution to the problem. Um, and the problem which has been fabricated by the US media in that case, but it, it is dangerous to to observe a lot of these things and to try and call them out um, and to try and and central, you know, to try and center a message against NATO, against the United States is not very popular uh, with a lot of people. So I think, you know, in that, in that respect, trying to make that the focus of of action uh May not be popular right now, but hopefully, as people observe the way the U.S. is going to react to this, the way the U.S. Will, will escalate and has been escalating things to this point, and will use it to its advantage, my hope is that people can change their mind and and take a more committed anti-NATO position on it. But yeah, I, I think it'll be difficult to undo a lot of the propaganda that people have have uh, embraced.
1: Yeah, that's true, sort of, but I, I mean, I've been doing anti-war work for, anti-war work for a while, and people's support for what the U.S. is doing is, like, very thin. Right. And once you ask a couple questions, or you give them a little information, they said, oh, I didn't know that. Right. Then, it's like, well, then, maybe my support for it is, like... It's, it'll dissipate. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not some great, you know, heartfelt support. You know. Yeah. Got to go volunteer and fight for freedom or something in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. It's a very uh, thin support that they have. It's like a veneer on people. Right. And if you get to talk to them and raise certain things with them and ask some questions and make them think about something, then they're like, well, yeah, I guess you have very good points. We shouldn't be doing what we're doing. Right, But that's the main reason the U.S. tries to control the media so that people don't have the opportunity to they don't ask questions because they only see one story. Uh, however much people go along with these wars, it's like really the support for it is very thin right right
0: and and hopefully with this situation and and as you're relating it to, to all the Alban nations and thinking about a hope that there will be a relation in people's mind to what the u s has been doing against Venezuela against Cuba for. For decades now, in Cuba's case, but especially more recently, adding Venezuela to this blockade and attempted interference, uh, attempted coups especially, hopefully there's people making a connection in their mind that the U.S. uh, encirclement, the NATO expansion and escalation is related. It's, It's related to this, as you were talking about, this campaign to preserve dollar hegemony. And American dominance,
1: yeah, well there's also the problem that uh, people don't think they could do much
0: right
1: uh, people I remember my brother in law would tell me why well, you go out to all these anti war demonstrations? Have you ever uh, stopped any wars by doing it right. i I don't support the wars, but I don't think they you know they're not going to stop, so right. I'd rather go fishing. But <laughs> you think even here it's like most of the people in the United States support, you know, single payer or healthcare yeah. for everybody. Or you know, cut to do something about significant about global warming. It's like nothing we try works. Nice. So that's the problem people have is like, well, I don't have any confidence. That if I try to do something to change things, that it's really going to uh, amount to anything. There's just going to be a waste of my time, which is another thing that the US government tries to do is to make sure any kind of social struggle is not successful. Any kind of union struggle is not successful because they think, well, if people see if you fight and you win over here, then they're going to start saying, well, maybe if we other people over here is like well if they did it then we can do it and then that'll start i mean that's how all the whole 60s started with all these social movements it's like um well these people fight and they they're doing something and it's they're accomplishing something so we should do that too Mm -hmm. that'll inspire a lot of people like a lot of workers now don't go on strike because they don't think they're going to win much yeah, But if they start to think, well, we fight and they see some big strike that fights and and they win, and then I think that'd have a big effect on the U.S. population. Right. And that's another big fear of the U.S. government, is as long as people feel like atomized and demoralized and then nothing they can really do is going to change anything, just vote for this other Democrat or this Republican or whatever, then you know they have control on the situation but if it's people start getting active and doing things then they become very worried right even like in canada with the truckers thing in ottawa's like they were very worried it's like well what if other people start thinking wow these truckers did that even though some of their demands are kind of i don't really agree with but mm-hmm these guys stood up and fought for something and they kind of got the fair amount of what they wanted. Government didn't really admit it there, but they rescinded a lot of these vaccine mandates and they're doing it here. Yeah. So I think that's a, that's a worry that the government, us government has to make sure that no struggle becomes successful because it'll inspire other people. And if that starts to grow, then they're gonna be in very big trouble.
0: Right. And I think too you take that that that's an individual level, but similar on an international level, when uh there is an alternative country working uh outside of the US uh sphere of influence that is a that similarly proves that people outside the US orbit can do things independently. They don't need the US controlling them, they don't need the US dominating them and that is a huge concern to the us
2: yeah. Well,
1: yeah yeah i can see that certainly when i went to china as had, last time i went to china is 2019 in the spring mm-hmm. and i've been all over europe and canada and all other places but if, that's the first time i went to, to a country where i thought wow this country is more developed than the United States, right? This looks makes the United States look like a third world country. Yeah. Every, every major city has a brand new subway system. They have high speed trains that go across the country in like 11 hours. Yeah. They have like, even things like public toilets everywhere. They have all these things is like, Wow, we don't have any of this stuff here. And all this stuff is new and modern. It's like, wow. It's like, US is, they're like way ahead of the US. It's kind of, and they're getting faster yeah. than US. It's like, what, something Jimmy Carter I said, he think, well, US spent like three, what do you say, like $3 trillion on wars in the last 30 years in China. At, or 40 years in china didn't have any wars they spend that money on their infrastructure that's why right, they right. got what they got and we have what we have here it's because right. now that's one country is like it's like getting way ahead of the united states mm-hmm.
0: Well, I unfortunately I have to go, um, right. but it was a it was a pleasure talking to you, and I'm
1: yeah, I'd like really to curious you to
0: really curious to continue the the conversation and follow what's going to be happening with the the Alban nations and in, in respect and just in general what the implications of this crisis will be with with NATO and the United States and and waning U.S. hegemony, but it'll definitely be something mm-hmm. to Monitor in the next uh, in in the years to follow um, how this impacts Latin America and and generally the nations of the global south as well
1: well yeah you might uh, if you do interviews maybe because there's a lot of webinars like on monthly webinars on Nicaragua and maybe every two months on Venezuela and there's probably more than monthly on Venice and cuba from all different mm-hmm. kinds of organizations so you could also look up who speaks on those and who you like for a speaker and have some of those interview some of those people too
0: for sure yeah yeah i'm definitely going to continue and there are other students who want to do interviews and learn more as well so definitely going to continue doing them but uh but thank you so much I really appreciate it and and stay well in in this crazy world
1: uh I don't know if any of you uh have you ever gone to Venezuela or Cuba or bolivia or Nicaragua
0: I haven't personally no i'm actually i i grew up in South Florida, so I knew of a, a decent amount but obviously in in South Florida it's like a totally different uh perspective on on everything and you kind of have to meet people who huh. are willing to challenge the the mainstream discourse but but just from meeting a lot of people and and learning the the alternative narrative from the u s it was it was really eye opening to see how people actually thought about you know an alternative to the United States and a challenge to u s hegemony so I haven't been there, but I would love to someday and and further learn about what my friends were were telling me about uh those who were not really compelled by the the u s narrative of things.
1: Well, I know that there, there's a lot of trips, uh, delegations of activists who go to uh, Cuba. There's the Pastors for Peace caravan. I know there's right. a May Day delegation that's going. And then Nicaragua has the Friends of the ATC that has a lot of young people go on those delegations. And I've gone on some of them, and I thought I was going to work with some and then Massachusetts Peace Action and me here in Chicago to help uh, raise money to send students to go on those trips who wouldn't have the money but have the time and they're young and they'd be a new generation of activists to go. If uh, any of you there would be interested in that sometime.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that would be incredible. Um, Let's definitely... Stay in touch on that because I I know a bunch of people yeah you here, uh, you got my email so yeah yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna continue the the dialogue and and when more uh, information is available on that let me know and I'll disseminate it to the the students that we have in our group and and I would personally I would love to to pursue that as well because I I I really would like to travel to Cuba at some point so, so yeah definitely keep me updated on that
1: all right well i think in the the bottom of that um those emails i sent you those venezuela alba solidarity Mm -hmm. i do Mm -hmm. list delegations to those countries so you can see if you wanted to go on any
0: awesome yeah Uh, i'm going to take a look at those
1: need any uh if you're hard up for money i could or me and other people could help donate so you could go yeah that would be
0: fantastic yeah that would be incredible uh, help help,
1: help pay for some students to go and then they come back and speak to their school and speak to their people and then wherever they live about what they saw
0: right and we we also like doing these interviews we we like doing them on on zoom online but it'd be even cooler to go and interview people face-to-face and, and get their perspective and record it. We're oh, trying yeah. to basically just record as many conversations as we as we can that are outside of the the mainstream. So that would be fantastic. Oh, OK. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you so much again. And, and stay well. I'll, I'll keep in touch.
1: All right. Yeah, thanks for uh, contacting me about this. How did you find out about me?
0: I actually, I was reading, um, Monthly Review has, uh, I guess they have, like, they collect articles from different sources, and I think I saw an article of yours on the Monthly Review website, so I I was contacting people on Monthly Review.
1: Yeah, I recently wrote one in Nicaragua. I think they put their, the gains of
2: women in Nicaragua. Okay.
0: Well, great. Yeah. Thanks so much and and take care.
1: Okay. Yeah. Thanks for uh, having me on. Bye. Thanks
0: so much. Bye.